Brought to you in association with Benfield Motor Group. Enjoy 15 reg offers on 12 great car brands at drivebenfield.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Everything's Black and White, the Chronicles Newcastle United themed podcast. I was hoping to be sat here with uh, with our veritable uh, cornucopia of Newcastle United writers here um, talking about a fantastic away win at uh, Goodison Park. Alas, it was not to be. 3-0 defeat, more recriminations unfortunately, but before we get on to really analysing that game. I'll just do a brief round of introductions. I'm Mark Douglas. I'm the Newcastle United editor for NCJ Media. We've got Andy Fowler here. We've got Stuart Rayner. I've also got the uh, Chronicles Chief Sports writer, Lee Ryder. I'll start with Stu, and I'm going to ask you a question. It's not Newcastle United-based. Dick Advocar, Sunderland. Should Newcastle United fans be worried, or... Alternatively, is it a, a good thing, really, with the derby two weeks away? Well, Newcastle United fans should probably be dancing in the streets with the record Gus Poyet had against Newcastle United of as course. manager of Sunderland and of Brighton, and not to mention his playing days. Um, obviously, it will um, it will lift the crowd because the derby will be his first home game. Um, so I think the I think the atmosphere will be a little less in Newcastle's favour than than was the case. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's got to hit the ground running, I, I suppose. But Newcastle and Sunderland have been in that position before and it has, sure. hasn't worked out too well for Newcastle. Honestly. Well, of course, I mean, it was the biggest story of yesterday, Lee, so I suppose it's, it's, a, it's appropriate to start with it. And you've spoken to Peter Lovenkrantz today as well for tomorrow's column. The man who brought um, Peter to, uh, to, to Scotland, of course, was Rangers. Yeah, um, spoke to Peter Lovenkrantz before he said that you know he's a good guy who 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 done well at Rangers. Um, he was saying that you know he he has got the experience to to get something organised again. The only question mark is is and I I'm exactly the same is that he's never managed in the Premier League mm. and he's never managed in a relegation battle. And I know Rangers and Celtic is a a brutal battle uh, north of the border, but I do think this sort of Newcastle one is. Every season, doesn't it? It seems every season they bring in a new manager just before uh, it, just before this game. It's a real soap opera. The the time we're Derby and uh, obviously, as you've just sort of alluded to there, um, it's another Derby on the horizon. Another managerial change. Question for Sunderland fans is: Do their club only um, get concerned about changing manager when there's a Derby coming up? Cause, <laughs> <laughs> it would appear to suggest so, given the um, recent sackings and appointments. Definitely, yeah. I mean, Andy, we'll just just come on to you now, for, just for a sec. Yeah, um, it's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think we've all kind of said that we think Newcastle are safe. Sunderland have taken this this uh, this this move because I think they think they're gone. We, I've asked you this before, and you've sort of said you think that Newcastle are all right. Thirty-five mm. points, but form flatlining. No yeah. defenders now. Are they safe? Well, it was, it was funny about myself and Stu were chatting earlier and actually said, I tell you what, the, the win against Villa, it's a good job they did get that, given how Villa was gone. We caught, caught them at a good time, you know, and then it could be roles reversed. I still think Newcastle are fine, um, but I think that's unfortunately a case of, I think there are a few worse teams, worse off than them, that are all going to chip it away at each mm. other. That's not a great sign for Newcastle. I just think that there are too many at the moment teams below them and they'll probably drag themselves over the line I don't think it's going to be pretty 
hasn't it's, been pretty all season. No, I, no, you're right. And I, <laughs> but I think this this weekend, if they're not careful and they catch Arsenal on a on, on a on a good uh, a good day, it could be it could be carnage. Um, but I, I still think they'll be all right. Um, I, I thought that about Sunderland as well. They've brought a new manager. You know, it wouldn't be a classic thing for for Sunderland to bring him in, win the derby, but still get relegated. That's the kind of way this season's going for them. Um, but for Newcastle. Still, I still think they'll be all right. Mm. I'm, I'm still clutching to those very short. Uh, short yeah, strokes. yeah. I, mean, I think they'll be all right too. But we we touched on in the last podcast. It's it's more important how they finish the season in terms of what form they take into next season mm. than than the league table itself. Yeah, I think. and the, the mood. I think I think the important thing that that we'll come onto the questions shortly. But the mood's a really important thing at Newcastle at the moment. And uh, my slight worry, Lee, is that especially on Saturday when you look at the kind of everything that's kind of stacking up at Newcastle at the moment, that game has the potential with Arsenal on form as well to be one of those really uncomfortable afternoons for Newcastle. Is that something that you're worried about? Well, I think one thing's for certain, the media don't preempt what what the crowd do. Mm. So the, Very cra- true. the crowd will respond however they want to respond. And, and I think um, we've had games like this where the crowd have turned. Um John Carver said in his press conference after the game that the majority of the, the hardcore fans understand the situation. I think what he's referring to there is is that they didn't really turn on the team mm. at the weekend and they didn't turn on him. Uh, they turned on the, the owner of the club, which isn't the first time it's happened. Mm. And I think, that's, I think that's fair in some ways because he's been left with an injury-hit squad. He's got players doing stupid things like Colaccini. Papi Cissé wasn't the brightest idea to, to spit on someone in a game. Um, and he's been left with a shell of a team, mm. really. And I, th- I think, to be fair, most... Even if you bought in Remy Gard right now, does that mean guarantee you're going to beat Arsenal? Well, I don't think it is. No. So I think one of the criticisms that I saw that was that was banded around a little bit, maybe I agreed with this, maybe the starting lineup. I mean, Gufron is still there. I've got a question about Gufron later. He's mm. played and started. But, I mean, really, it does feel a bit like shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. Well, I think people were annoyed with the start that when the team sheet got announced that Perez wasn't starting and Cabello wasn't starting. Um, from what I understand, Cabello wasn't fully fit, fit to play he? 90 minutes. Um, so he didn't want to put him at risk and Perez I think they feel that they've already got as much as they're going to get out of Perez this mm. season he's delivered more than was expected and I think they, they thought he was going to have a bit part role this season play a few cup games under 21s he said come off he the on bench he actually said under yeah. 21s the other day now whether that's right or wrong I, I don't know because Perez was in the came off the bench for the first game of the season nearly yeah. scored seems a long time ago <laughs> and he flicked it over the defender and put it away um, so yeah I, I wouldn't put all my hopes on a kid uh, it going in the last nine games I don't think that's the right thing to do but that said if if Gufran and Obertan are serving up performances like they have um, then I, I'm very disappointed we've actually I actually stopped Gufran for an interview at the weekend and and I thought he was just going to turn me down because he's done that all season, but he actually stopped and spoke, so that's an interesting interview for tomorrow in the Chronicle, yeah. so just a little plug. Oh, there. look at that. <laughs> Great company, man, there. Um, I've honestly, Obertan's form has really nosedived since, he's came back, since he came back from the injury, which is a bit of a disappointment because I thought he was kind of going to 
going to kick on and train on a little bit. Um, I'll just go into the questions now because I think, um, and I'll start with you, Stu. Um, quite an interesting one here. Uh, I'm, I can't I'm just have a look for who, who it was. Uh, yeah, it was a guy called Lewis on Twitter. Fabrizio Colaccini. His, his question is actually, what in the blue hell is Colaccini doing as Newcastle United's captain? Uh, it has been a fair bit of debate about this one. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think he's still? I mean, we ran a poll straight after asking whether people are still convinced that he's the right man to captain Newcastle United, and actually, the majority of them were saying no. What do you think on that one? I suppose you've got to be aware of snap judgments after something like that red that red card because people are probably going to go against him. But is of he a course, right yeah. But it's not the first time we've had an incident like this. I mean, I can remember one at Anfield, for example, where he, he nearly cut yeah. Luis Suarez it in was. half. You know. He, Somebody, uh, I saw somebody tweeted me on the on the Sunday night to describe him as the Hatton Ben Arthur of defenders. <laughs> on his day, yeah. very good defender, but when the going gets tough, sometimes he can be a bit of a liability. I'm not sure those are the sort of qualities you want in a leader. Um, I think I'd be looking elsewhere for next season's captain. To be honest, is there anyone, Andy? Well, I, I think Jan Matt for me. I think he's probably been my player of the, the season so far. We were discussing that earlier. Um, and he, as we said before, he's been the man to kind of, he has fronted up a little bit. He's, he's said, listen, you know, it's not good enough. And he's the man that kind of has come out and spoken a little bit and said, you know, this isn't this isn't good enough. Is that not what your captain's there for? That, that's mm-hmm. why, you know, that's where you want, I know, you know, different types of captains. There's the bolsy ones, there's the guys who come out of, there's the quiet ones. Well, unfortunately, as part of the job, you've got to come out, you've got to speak to the media, you've got to be the one staunchly defending your team and... I mean, personally, I really see that at the moment. A few people have had words, but I think Jan Matt's a good character for that. He's been a, a good player this year and it's not been a, a great season. But, you know, looking forward, you don't know. Cindy Young, remember, was was one of them. Mm. I, I think at the beginning of the season, he was probably the guy they may have looked towards. Depending Vice on how, captain, wasn't he? Yeah, and depending on how Colaccini went on, tough. You know, you can't possibly be captain if you're not playing, you know, mm. as has mm. been the case. Whether or not that, that changes... Um, I don't know, but I, that's that's where I'd go. I mean, c- certainly, sp- just on just to touch on Yanmat there. I mean, obviously, the readers and the fans don't always get to see what happens behind the scenes, yeah, and and I can kind of verify that you know Yanmat has been a go-to man in terms of are you going to explain that defeat? He's come out, he's never shirked one interview, and I know people say, well, we just want them to win football matches, but there's a lot more to it than yeah. that, and. And I think Jan Matt has certainly shown the qualities of um, of a captain, mm. you know, who's prepared to come out and, as you say, put his hands up, accept it, say it's not good enough. And unfortunately, Colaccini, he's, he's never liked doing the media. He's done it. He does his own program column and all that kind of thing. But he's never he's never been comfortable with speaking to the press. Yeah. And I think if you're Newcastle United captain. It's got to be one of the things high at the top of the list. He actually said, I think he doesn't. He didn't like doing TV interviews because he didn't think he comes across his English is good enough. But mm. but with written media, he did used to do the odd one, didn't he, Lee? But he doesn't seem to be doing it at all now. He, um, I think he has done it certainly since December. Um, I think he has done a, done a couple, um, but one of them was the before the Leicester Cup yeah. game, saying how we're all up for the cup, and then he didn't play. So. Yeah. So, you know... That's, well, that might be one of the reasons why I yeah. suppose he's, he's not... I spoke to him after the Manchester United defeat, so it's not that he hasn't done any, but mm. as you say... He's it's, a cap, yeah. yeah it's Kevin a, Nolan yes. used well, to he'd do... Make, yeah, he'd make a bit... Alan Shearer, yeah. you know, even Scott Parker, yeah. remember him to an extent. They would actually say, right, no-one else is speaking, I'm going out, I'm going to front it all up, 
and do it that way. And Shearer was particularly good at that. And I think when when Parker took over as captain, I think Shearer may have had a little word in his ear and said, yeah. "You, if you get beat, you're the one that goes out and does it." But it's it's symptomatic of a complete like a lack of kind of characters <laughs> and leadership throughout the club. I mean, we you know. We look at the the managing director who's getting more involved and is doing more. To be fair to him, you know, does seem to be kind of doing a little bit more. But if you look around the whole club, and there doesn't seem to be that many leaders. Lee. No, I don't. I think that was certainly the problem on um, on on Sunday at Goodison Park when the first goal went in. My, my gut reaction was to to look at the reaction of the players, and I did see about you know maybe three or four or five players heads down kind of trundling back to the halfway line as if to say here we go again and you want to see you want to see a bit of anger sometimes the fans certainly need to see that I think interestingly I mean we, we kind of I suppose we, we touch onto this one because I think there's a feeling really around that the whole place at the moment that we're waiting for Newcastle's next move in particular on the head coach Richard Hughes asks and I'm going to just ask you this one Lee because I think you're probably the best qualified to, to answer this one any discussions with anybody at all on the head coach situation at the moment. I mean, Lee Charney did say something the other week, didn't he, after the fans forum? Well, he basically said that they wouldn't restart the search until the end of the season. Mm. So, as far as they're concerned, they haven't spoken to anybody and it's it's over you, John Carver, for yeah. the last nine games and we see where we are. Interesting that, Stu. Do you think that's a risk? I do think that's a risk, yeah. I mean, a couple of people have pointed out that um, you look at the situation in, at Newcastle at the moment, and you mentioned Dick Advocat before, uh, appointed within 24 hours mm-hmm. of the manager, well, less than 24 mm-hmm. hours of the manager being sacked. Even John Carver wasn't appointed as interim coach in that sort of time. Seven weeks, wasn't it? Oh, no, exactly. seven weeks, not seven weeks. Uh, a long three, time. Four weeks. Um, the, you know, you don't, want, you don't want clubs rushing in headlong and, and making daft decisions, but at the same time, they do need to be planning for next season, even if the, even if the plan is... If John Carver does enough, we'll give him the job. But if John Carver doesn't, here's plan B, and preferably C and D. Yeah. Because that's the way the football world works. At the moment, everyone's working on their summer transfers. You don't wait for the window to open. Exactly, yeah. Um, Andy, any chance at all of John Carver getting this job now, do you think? Yeah, yeah, there, there is. I mean, he's, I say there's nine games left. Um, I, I thought when he first came in, you know, he had what, 13, 14, 16 games or whatever mm. it was. I thought, yeah, fine, stick with him, get someone in the summer. I'm a little more reserved on that than I, than I probably once was, given the way results are going, and given the way it could go in the next month, because it, it could be, you know, it really could be sort of um, all hands on deck. But he could still get that job if if he puts together a, a string of wins, last four or five games, which I think is what's then the Swansea, and then they're into the last month or something like that, and he puts a decent string, he gets around tenth place. They could he could get the job and now. I'm thinking that it's now more than ever that they do need that 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 uh, new head coach coming in in the summer. It's somebody different. I think that the way we've seen now with the you know like Sunderland, yeah they've gone in and they've gone and they've got somebody. They might not be safe, but they've been decisive. They've acted. They've gone. Yeah, this is what we want. This is what it's going to be. This is how it is. Well, Sunderland, uh, what playing devil's advocate here? Um, Sunderland have acted in haste and repented at leisure quite a few times yeah. now. And to be fair to Newcastle, they aren't saddled with a squad full of players who are over 30, 31 on long contracts, which Sunderland are and have really struggled to shift. They, they are, but I think what we've seen is now, like you say about the fans, it's the pressure cooker is building. And actually, then it comes to back to that kind of that leadership or something. 
waiting for a decision on whatever, yeah, whether it's transfer, yeah. whether it's the manager, the head coach, whether it's signings, whatever it is. We're not seeing kind of anything. Mm. Um, but uh, yes, he could still get it. I'm of the opinion absolutely now that you know there needs to be some somebody else. It needs and it needs to be somebody with a, a personality, a character. Um, somebody a name to kind of get everyone galvanise everybody yeah uh, Lee there's a question here directly and he's actually this one's directed to you uh, by a guy called Mark not me um, East East and Row M he's asked if you can explain uh, I think it was a comment in one of your pieces about John Carver where you mentioned that you thought it was maybe trial by social media for him and then he's asked also do you think that John Carver has done enough to deserve the job interesting point just before you answer that one about the away fans not turning on him because they did on Pardew um, they haven't done on John Carver. Um, was that kind of what you were getting at with the social media? Well, effectively, yeah. So the first part of the question was, what did I mean by trial by social media? Well, it's not trial by what's been said on the terraces because the, uh, there's only been one anti-Carver chant. Palace. That's, that's not me sticking up for, for anybody. That's the fact. We're, we're here to inform and report what happens to people that aren't there. Well, the fact of the matter is, unlike the Pardew, Pardew out banners and all that sort of stuff, that didn't happen at Everton. What was the second part of his question? It was, uh, does John Carver deserve... Do you think he's doing enough to deserve the job at the moment? Well, I think I'm amazed he's asked that question. Yeah. Is he he for real asking that question? He's won two games out of 11. Yeah. The team doesn't look like it can win a game. Um, The tactics, you know, don't seem to be right. There doesn't seem to be a plan B or a plan C when they do go wrong. Mm. So I'm amazed he's asked that question and, mm. and I'm, sh- I'm, I'm surprised he can't see for himself because, you know, if he's another one of these people who thinks because we report the quotes of John Carver, we're backing him for the job. Mm. Well, I'm sorry, but it's all a little bit of delusion, I'm afraid. There was some very, there was some very sort of critical stuff um, that came out of that game, the Everton game. And I mean, it was kind of like, I know we go back to the podcast we talked about the other week. Mm. But it was like, you know, I, I, I mean, I was sat in the office kind of putting that stuff through. And I think sometimes there's been a perception that, that as a stable of newspapers, we're backing John Carver because we're which just I, I didn't think personally, I'm just going to put, put my two pennies in here. I, I just think that that question to me implies a little bit that we're that we're almost desperate not to report any negative John Carver um, situations. But I don't, I don't think that's the case. Well, I, th- I just think that there is an element, you know, of, of some people out there that they see what they want to see. Now, I'll, I'll give you a good example of this on Sunday night. Um, Warren Barton, remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's played for Newcastle United. Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, he's over in America now doing a, doing a bit of coaching, a bit of punditry. Um, he retweeted a story that I'd done in December. Right. Uh, which said John Carver's a, a safe pair of hands. Now, three months ago, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when Newcastle lost Pardew, and they said they were in the middle of a search for the new manager. Yes, he was a safe pair of hands. But I was surprised Warren Barton thought that. And I mean, my, my other query on that was, I mean, Warren Barton's obviously someone who was in a good Newcastle team that nearly won the league. He got dropped at the end of that season. Steve Watson came in, by the way. But he, <laughs> he will know more than anyone what it's like to play in a struggling Newcastle mm. team because he's finished 13th twice, he's finished 11th twice. And I think he left the club pretty early in the Bobby Robson era to go to Derby County for, for a better deal. So I was surprised to see some yeah. of that. Uh... Well, I think the point is, yeah, well, it's an interesting one as well because somebody, um, I, I was doing a little bit of Sunderland tweeting yesterday and um, 
somebody, uh, this guy from Roker Report retweeted <laughs> something that I'd written where I said, great, great that Gus Poirier got a contract extension. Uh, and I was sort of waxing Liverpool about how good that was. And uh, I sort of pointed out to him that I had written that in June. And things can well, change be, between yeah, June and, to be, to be June fair, and April. To be fair, on that one, Gus Poirier, uh, he led Sunderland to the Great Escape last season. Everyone had written them off. Yeah, yeah. They stayed up. They got to a cup final. Things were things were probably looking up, and even the Sunderland fans would would say that. But now they've lost the man who's won the most time wear derbies yeah. in, in Sunderland's history. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what they want. <laughs> interesting. That's an interesting one. I mean, we'll come back to that one. Um, Stu, I'd like to ask this one. We, we've kind of winded it out a little bit now from from John Carver. Steph, NUFC asks. Why should we trust the board on anything that Newcastle fans feel that they're being told? Look, jam tomorrow. We will do something tomorrow. It's all we've all got it in hand. She's asking, I think, a very fair question there. Why should we trust anything that's coming out of Newcastle? Because there's been a lot of promises that haven't really necessarily been um, been kept recently. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fair question to be honest, and I, I, I think I think the answer to to cop out of it is that. Every fan has got to decide for themselves and every time that they turn up to a game, a home game, and put money in the board's pockets, then they're kind of giving them a vote of confidence, aren't they? Uh, it's, it's really for, for, for fans to make up their own minds on yeah. that one. I think, um, I think I'll come, come to you on that one, Andy, in a minute. I, I think the, the point about trust, I will say that um, the, the Newcastle board, what they said in January um, and what they said after that they have actually stuck to it's actually what they're it's actually sometimes it's more their ambitions not, yeah, that's, that's they, the they have been... trust I don't think it's necessarily the point it's yeah. a wider point about what they're actually trying to do rather than necessarily yeah, trusting them they have been fairly upfront. I mean we, we, we all pretty much know what their ambitions are it's to finish in the top half of the of the Premier League and we're not too bothered about the Cups and they've been they've been good to, you know true to that they've, mm. they've always been competing to be in the top half and they've never been competing in the Cups and yeah. um, it's just a question of whether that's uh, that matches the ambition of, of people like Steph. Sure. Um, Thomas Clements asks, uh, amongst a, a raft of questions, Andy, what's the point of Johan Gufron? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I can answer that. Uh, yeah. No, I, he's a weird one, is, is Gufron. He's, he's, a, he's a hard worker. I'm trying to be positive here. He's, he's a hard worker and he's a guy that... He was brilliant. About yeah, a year he came and a half in, ago. French Revolution and Renaissance, whatever you want to call it, and he came in... Amongst a raft of, of, of a, a bit of a feel good, and I think he, r- he rode that raft a little a little too far. The problem is now, you're asked, is he a striker? He doesn't get enough goals. Is he a winger? Well, I don't think his delivery's anywhere near good enough. Does he track back and work defensively? Well, no, I don't think he. I don't think he particularly does. So I don't know what he offers you. It's a similar thing with Obertan in that when we kind of saw at the beginning of the season, we thought, oh, Obertan's going to start well, he's doing, gets injured, he's come back, nosedive. I don't know what Gufran does to get a starting place. I know Cavello is injured, uh, or not 100% fit, um, but I am amazed that he's... If, if someone's getting a chance, throwing a couple of youngsters, I'd rather see them get on than, than someone like Gufran because I don't know what he offers you. Um, ultimately, even on his best day, he's not going to get you a handful of goals. No. Um, and as I say, his delivery, 
is isn't good enough if you're looking then to feed into the into the middle. The best person with the delivery at the moment is Jan Matt. That's why he's got the most assists. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. <laughs> well, that was com- comprehensive enough. Um, Lee, coming down to the, the last couple of questions, I think we sort of broadened it out a little bit now, and we, it's familiar themes that we keep coming back to. But Liam Ray asks here, and, and this is kind of uh, quite a familiar thing that I think we've seen. What damage is being done to the reputation of the club and the perception of it outside um, these city walls? And what impact do you think it'll have in the summer? Do you think what's happening at the moment, this kind of drift, is going to affect Newcastle's next head coach and the transfers? Do you think it is going to have an effect or do you think it'll just be forgotten about as soon as that final whistle goes against um, QPR on the phone? I think um, outside the city walls, Newcastle will always be perceived in a certain way. And obviously, I've, li- I've lived outside mm. the city as well. And my my kind of... I used to get quite hurt by some of the things that used to get said. But, uh, you know, when you're living around the country, people, you know, down south especially, see Newcastle as a soap opera. They, they see it all as a bit of a shambles and this, that and the other. And I don't know why that is. Or, or very often, there's been good reason for that to happen. But I think, you know, we've, I think we've had the dodgy defence tag for about 35 <laughs> years or something like that. But, um, yeah, so outside the city walls, I can see that. Um, what was the next part of the question? Do you, think it'll have a big, do you think it'll have a big impact in terms of the head coach? Do you think it'll put, put head coaches off, maybe, for them to come? You've got to have a big pair of broad shoulders to take the Newcastle United job. Where you going, then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you've got to have that. And I, and I think it's going to take a big personality with charisma. So, is Remy God going to be that man? I don't I don't know. John Carver can obviously take the stick, but he can't get the results. Mm. Remy God might be able to fashion a decent team, but can he take the stick when it starts to go mm. wrong? How long will he get before he gets called Gardu or something like yeah. that? You know yeah. what I mean? It's, you. Uh, <laughs> like um, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's 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 going to be a tough one. Personally, I would like the club to think outside the box and, and go for someone who's got the, the charisma and... Uh, I've touted him before, but I, I think Slavin Bilic would be a great choice yeah. for Newcastle because he's, he's, that. he's got that personality, the bubbliness, and I think he could just, you know, put a bit of love back into the club with the fans and all that kind of yeah. thing. But I think he might want too much transfer control. It's interesting because there's a piece in the. Um, I, I came from London today, and there's a piece in the Evening Standard saying that West Ham are targeting Slavin Bilic, David Moyes. Um, I can't remember. There's a couple of others, and you're thinking. Why are West Ham going for these names? I mean, obviously, Billich has got the connection to West Ham, but those are big names that would really make you think, actually, you know, there's something in this. And then Newcastle are talking, you know, I mean, some of the names that were being touted when the Newcastle job was, was available were not not massive. And, and no. it's, a, it's a big club. It's a big club. It, it's a big club in terms of fan base, in terms of stadium, in terms of numbers of seats and all that kind of thing. But... The club have come out and said themselves that they're not they're not aiming for the top six, you know they're happy you know with a, around tenth, around ninth, eighth, but they're not even that at the moment. No, so 11th. so bigger clubs, you know, say yeah we're going out for the cup as Stu was talking about before and going for the top six. Newcastle aren't doing that at the moment. Mm. Final question. I think this is this is um, this is quite an interesting one um, because it sort of cuts the the point of what we're talking about here. Like, Will Madwick is asking, uh, will Carver give the young players a chance? He says he'd like to see Olivier Kevin. We'll, we'll all three of you, if you would answer this one. Lee, we'll start with you, um, Kevin. 
Well, I've already done a big piece with him last week. Uh, sat down with him and spoke, and very impressed with what he had to say. I was very impressed with his attitude, his hunger, his desire. Seemed to, to me bring a lot of the things to the table that the team's lacking at the moment. Mm. Yes, he's raw, he's young, but you've got to start somewhere. Um, you've got to learn from your mistakes. Tioti made mistakes at the start. I don't know. I, I, I would, I would have the have him in the midfield as as a live wire. See what he can do. See what he can bring to the table. Mm. Stu, yeah, I mean, I'd like I'd like to see a few of the younger players involved. You know, to go back to the earlier question, why was Johan Gufran, who had a very good first first uh, six months at the club, but has since tailed off? Why was he a better option at centre forward in that form than Adam Armstrong? Mm-hmm. And why was he a better option in central midfield than Oliver Kemp mm-hmm. or even Vernon Anita? But particularly, we're, we're talking about the young players. I, I think. To, to introduce a couple of young players carefully uh, would just add a bit of life to things at the moment. Get their enthusiasm in, in the team, hopefully reflected, well, almost certainly reflected on the terraces. A um, couple of them probably wouldn't come up to the mark, but if a couple do over the course of the season, then you get one good performance and a, and a goal or two from Adam Armstrong or Oliver Kenman or any of the other young players, then it's got to be worth a go. Andy, Adam Armstrong on Saturday? Well, he's definitely in with the shout. Uh, exactly the same as, as, as Lee and Stu, to be honest. I think you, it injects something, and that's what we've been, they've been lacking. It's all a bit down. Just a bit of, bit of an X factor. Yeah, it could, it could go a little bit wrong, but there again, they could still get knocked for, for quite a few anyway. So why not bring something? And a, a lot of the players, or a lot, sorry, a lot of the fans... I've not seen that much of Cayman. I know you know, the, or, the, or Armstrong. We, we, you know, we've seen a lot of sort of under twenty one action where they meet a few first team. Be nice to see him, you know, on the big stage again, and let's and, and keep going. That these players are not going to come in. I know Perez has done well, but these players are not going to come in and just do it like that. You know, mm. they, they need a little bit, a little bit of working in, and it would inject a little bit, a little bit of life, and also show the fans. Listen, these are the players who were kind of coming through, and if they get a, a couple of bits out of them. Or a, or a few bits of enthusiasm, but a bit of a bit of spark, then a bit of excitement, then actually that might be something to to cling on to a little bit, and also to show the starting eleven. Hey, these are the guys coming through, and if you're not careful, no no one's too. Uh, the squad isn't massive, but no one's too big to be dropped. And if you're not pulling your weight, we'll just right, we'll give them a, we'll give them a go. Why not? Mm. I think that's been one of the problems, hasn't it? Last few years, actually, there's, there's a few too many players who were assured of their place in the team. Absolutely, and there will never be a better time to do it than with 35 points on the board and nine yeah. games to yeah, go. Newcastle United, I agree with Andy. I think they're safe from safe from relegation. They're not competing for Europe, so experimentation is the best way to go. Mm. Definitely. So. A little bit of a hope for something a bit new at the end there, um, but hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be reconvening next week talking about a, a, a memorable well, defeat, a memorable defeat of Arsenal, um, and you know maybe with a little bit, a few more positive questions to uh, to put to the lads as well. So um, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>